Good morning. You know, one of the things that um, I really don't like um, are those guys that uh, repeat sermons. Don't you hate that? That's what I'm going to do this morning. I preached this sermon in this church 24 years ago. Um, And I know all of you took copious notes at that time. But just in case, um, I think this is what the Lord would have us to look at today. I ask him not to. I'm I'm serious. Uh, I had a little eye surgery this week, and on the way back from Nacogdoches on Tuesday, I I said, Lord, you know, I really don't want to talk about that. And he said, I really don't care. So here we are. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to look uh, at the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, that's where we're going to be today. Jeremiah 29 and beginning in verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity to the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Look back um, uh, just a little earlier in our text in verse um, 6 where Jeremiah tells the people, increase and do not decrease. It's one of the times in Scripture where God's people find themselves in a spot that they... A, could not have imagined, and B, did not ask for. And God's really plain in this passage of Scripture, and maybe maybe that's why I'm drawn to it, because things have to be pretty plain for me to understand them. But um, he specifically tells them, you are in a place that you do not want to be, and you're going to be there for a long time, 70 years as a matter of fact. And one of the first things that I think that we need to take away from this particular passage as a people, as a group of people, is that God uses time to fulfill his purpose. Times of waiting, times of transition, times of prayer, times of simply falling before God and and telling him we don't have answers 
and seeking those on a regular, consistent basis are some of the tools that the Lord uses when he really wants to do something. Now, the poor children of Israel must have been in bad shape because they, they had a long period of time that they were going to have to wait. Generation would pass before God would deliver them and, and they would see the fulfillment of his promise. But I want us to get this morning, and as Glenn was praying a while ago, it, it made me think of that very thing, that God wants to use this period of time in the life of First Baptist Huntington not simply to wait until our new pastor arrives and something new takes place, but he wants to use this time right now with those of us that are here. And if we miss that today, I think we're going to miss perhaps the most significant part of this entire situation in which we find ourselves. God has something specific that he wants to say to the body of this church. And we believe that he has ordained a period of time. He's not been definitive with us about how long it may be, but a period of time where he wants to have conversation specific to who we are. So God uses uh, a time of transition. God uses a period of time. But God also is busy when he's doing that. Verse 6 says, increase and do not decrease. Increase and do not decrease. And Jeremiah lays out some ways for the captives there in Babylon to do just that. He gets specific with them. He puts verbs in his sentences, and he tells them, these are some things that God has told me that we need to do. For however long this, we find ourselves here, we need to be active in these things. The first thing I think that God would have us increase, he'd have us increase our operations. Increase our operations. I have a gentleman that works with me at school, and um, his official title, if you will, he's the, our director of operations. I would not have his job for anything because that poor man works himself to death. I don't do anything, you know, but he does. And it doesn't matter what it is, it seems to fall under his purview. If the lawnmower's broke, well, that's the director of operations. If the bus is broken down, that's the director of operations. If we're building a new building, that's the director of operations. There's nothing that he doesn't have his hands on, and he's very, very good at it. And I'd hate to know that we didn't have him there. What's the operation of First Baptist Church? What do we do? What do we do? Well, we've said for a long, long time that we know him and we make him known. That this is a place where you come and you, you, you discover your need for a personal relationship with Jesus and then once you have that, you work really, really hard to give that away to everybody else that you come in contact with. That's our operation. And just like in school, 
that operation takes um, its place in many different forms. And those things that we do have to increase during this time. We don't call time out now because we're in between pastures, or we don't call time out because it's the summertime. We need to be more busy. We need to be more vigilant. We need to be more active. We need to be more involved. I get the text and the emails about our different ministries, and Byron alluded uh, earlier this morning about the new one starting up uh, in the uh, three-quarter house, and man, that's, that's a that's a cool, overwhelming thing right now. Um, uh, we have youth camps and we have children's camps and, and we have other activities and we're in need of people to work in the nursery. Okay? If you're one of those folks that Satan has lied to all your life and told you, you, don't, you there's nothing you could do in the kingdom of God, there's nothing you can do to serve God or to work for God or whatever. Go to the nursery. That is the simplest gig you'll ever have. You go there. You find a place, the floor, for an hour. Children tackle you and climb on you. And you go home. You, you need Advil a couple of days. It's no big deal. It's full contact nursery when I'm in there. Okay? But seriously, we're desperate, if I understand things right now, for people who are willing to do something as simple as that. That's what I'm talking about when I say increase our operation. The little things, the details, the work of the church has to flourish. It has to go forward. It can't take a time out during this period of time, okay? Because Satan doesn't call a time out, does he? I mean, Satan's not sitting wherever he sits going, eh, you know, that First Baptist group, they don't have a preacher right now, so I'm going to take it easy on them. He didn't do that. We've got to increase our work and increase our dedication to the work of God during the time of transition. Second thing, increase our innovation. Increase our innovation. Innovation just simply means doing things differently maybe than we've done them before. Let me, let me read you again what Jeremiah says. In verse 7, he says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's the last thing those folks wanted to hear. That sounded as backward and as ungodly and unJewish unhebrewish as it possibly could be that God would have them pray for these um, awful evil ungodly Babylonians who were holding them hostage 
and pray that the city does well and that their economy does well and um, all that, that they are about flourishes. This was different. This was extremely different. And there are a lot of things that we have clearly outlined in the Bible, a lot of things that are not said probably too that we, we need to pay attention to this morning. I just am confident that when Jeremiah delivered this news, I want you to pray for these people that for all intents and purposes in our language are holding a gun to your head. I want you to pray for these people who will not let you do what you want to do. I promise you there was some little old lady who said, I'm not sure he's really been called to preach. And there was some old boy named Leroy or Billy Bob or Bubba. He said, I ain't sure I'm listening to that old boy. Folks, I don't have any idea at this point who our new pastor will be or when he will get here. I do know two things. The first one is whoever he is, he won't do things the way Daryl Smith did. And the second thing is he's not coming to do things the way that I like them done. He's not coming to make me feel better. He's not coming to make me comfortable. He's not assuming the pastorship of this church, okay, so that I can come in in my same old routine Sunday after Sunday and sit in my same spot, okay, and go through my same motions because that's what I like. He's not going to do that today. He's going to do things differently. And he's going to do that under the direction of God. Holy Spirit's going to lead him to do things in this church that we may not have ever done before. And you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Oh, my goodness. We, you know, we, we may get completely radical. You know? We might leave the lights off during the whole service. <laughs> My family says that would be a good idea as long as I'm preaching because I'm a lot better looking in the dark. But anyway, we've got to do things and be willing to do things under the leadership of God that stretch us from where we've been before, that grow us, that move us forward that reach people that are within walking distance of this building who have some connotation, some idea of what goes on in here, and so far they don't want any part of it or they'd already be here. Because whether we like it or not, when it's all over and we stand before God, we're going to be held responsible for them. Our pastor, whomever he may be and whenever he may take over, will lead us to unchartered waters, and we must be willing to follow. Whether it's what I like or not, we've got to be able 
We've got to be willing to be innovative in our approach. Innovative in the things that we do. Do something different. That's, that's what we're in store for. And if you're one of those folks, God love you, that say church is not church unless they're doing it the way that I like, well, you need to get your disappointed clothes out because that's coming. That's coming. And that's of God. Third area that we need to increase. Third area that we need to increase this morning is to increase our expectations. Everybody knows 29-11. Everybody knows that verse, and we quote it all the time. And, and God gives a, a, a sense of hope there in a hopeless situation. But, you know, that's not just good poetry. Those are actually the words of Almighty God. And he tells us something good is coming. Something great is coming. I have a plan. Okay? I don't have a thought. I don't have an idea. I don't have a hope. I have a plan. And I need you to expect it to happen. What is an expectation? What is an expectation? What's that word really mean this morning? And, and, and I've heard people say, well, expectation is just a synonym for faith. It, it's just another word for faith. And, and, and there's a, absolutely a component of that to it. But I, I would challenge you this morning to think that an expectation is a notch above faith. It's a step greater than faith. Faith is an element that, that um, you have to have to reach an expectation, but I really think an expectation is a higher sense or, or a, uh, a higher idea than simply faith itself. Um, a light switch is an expectation. All right? Okay? If you go and you flip the switch, you flip a light switch, you are fully expected, almost to a, a point of subconsciousness, for the lights to come on. That's an expectation. Okay? You expect for the lights to come on when you flip the switch. You don't have, unless, you know, the weather's been bad and the power's been out or something like that, but on a regular day, on a normal day, when you flip the light switch, the only time you think about it is if it doesn't come on. That's the difference between faith and an expectation. And when it comes to electricity, when it comes to light switches, we are highly expectant people. We live in the 21st century. I mean, unless you're from Arkansas or something, we're, you know, electricity's new. But, and don't be mad if you're from Arkansas, okay? Uh, we expect that stuff to work. We don't give it a second thought. And you know what? We don't live in low expectations when it comes to electricity, do we? We don't sit at the house in the dark and say to ourselves, I don't know. 
I probably should go turn the switch on, but you know, it might not work. Now, it's worked the last 10,000 times I've done it, but this could be the time. I'm just going to stay here in the dark. We don't live like that. We have the utmost faith and the highest expectation in a device made by human hands. And we live that way. We absolutely live that way. I believe that's exactly the way God calls us to live when it comes to our relationship with him. That if we've known the Lord for any period of time and we continue to grow in our faith, we should be beyond simple faith, which many of us confuse, frankly, for hope, and get to a point where we're expectant of God to be who he says he is. To act like he says he will act. To live up to his past history and his future promises. That's an expectation. It's the people in Scripture, if we think about it, with high expectations that have their faith rewarded. It's not always the people with great talent or abilities or position or money or anything like that. It's the simple people who live a life of high expectations where we see God show off in incredible ways. Think about David when he was a boy and he, and he had to face Goliath. You know that story. Um, all the, the soldiers, uh, they first try to protect him, don't they? Telling me, you know, he didn't need to do that. They realize he's not going to take no for an answer, so they try to um, armor him. They put all of this stuff on him. And David goes, I can't move. I don't need this. I don't need this. And y'all, as young as David was at that particular time, David was not dumb. He was not naive. He knew in everyday life that a rock thrown from a long distance does not kill a giant. That on any other day of the week, that's not going to happen. But let me tell you, when he let that thing go, he expected that giant to be dead because he knew that God was involved in that. There was so much that could have gone wrong with that. So much that could have gone wrong. He could have missed. He could have nicked Goliath and made him really mad. David knew he was really not the one throwing the rock in the first place. He was just a tool that God was going to use. Think about the lady in the New Testament when Jesus is, is uh, walking through a crowded town one day, and the Bible says that the lady had been ill for like 12 years, hemorrhaging, just as sick, I guess, as you possibly could be and still be alive. And they're walking through a crowd, and, you know, everybody's trying to get at Jesus. The disciples are trying to protect him. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are going, 
Lord, it'd be a lot easier to tell you who didn't touch you. Everybody's trying to get at you. Everybody's touching you, God. They're just, you know, we're having to fight them off. And Jesus said, no, wait a minute. There was something different. Jesus said, I felt the power leave my body when this person touched me. And we have to ask ourselves, how come we know about her story and we don't know anything about all those other folks that were touching Jesus that day? See, I got a feeling most of those other folks were there to get close to a rock star. The phenomenon of who Jesus was was enticing and entertaining. And as human nature would, you know, does sometimes, we, we, we kind of lose our head when somebody famous comes along. And that's what they were gravitating to. But this one particular lady knew. She didn't hope. She knew that if she could get close enough to touch his clothing, even though for 12 years not a doctor in the world could help her, she was going to be well. That's the difference between faith and an expectation. I would contend this morning that the thief on the cross was a man of high expectations. Now, he was a sorry individual, or he wouldn't have been there. Roman crucifixion was something that the Roman government saved for the worst offenders so that they could make a public example and scare the masses. I don't know what the thief on the cross did, but it was pretty bad, or he wouldn't have been there. But he had high expectations, and the reason that we know he had high expectations is because of his vocabulary, because of the words that he used. You remember there were two thieves, okay? And one of them keeps looking at Jesus, sarcastically talking to him, and he keeps saying the word, if. Look it up sometime. Don't take my word for it. He keeps saying, if you're the son of God, why don't you do something about all this? If you're the Messiah, why don't you come down off the cross? If you're really the savior of the world, why don't you get us out of here? If, if, if. The other thief had a different vocabulary. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when. I think some of the most significant words in Scripture are the small simple overlooked ones you see that 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 man whoever he might have been that criminal probably a murderer or a rapist or some other vile convict that he was absolutely hopeless as far as this world was concerned had already made up his mind that the man that he hung next to was the son of god
He did not question it. It wasn't that he was hoping that Jesus would come into his kingdom. He was simply waiting for that to happen. Oh, y'all, there's a huge difference between if and when. I can tell you that from coaching kids for a long, long time. I've been in those games that we talked about what it would be like if we won, and we didn't. And I've been in those games when we talked about when we would win, and we did. If and when. High expectations, and just like David, and just like the woman with the issue of blood, it worked for the thief on the cross, and we know that from the vocabulary that Jesus used. What did he say? He said, today, you will be with me. Today. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'll try. I'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll form a committee, and maybe we can get that worked out. He didn't ask the man what his credentials were. He didn't ask the man why he should be with him in his kingdom. See, Jesus had already made up his mind, too. And he said, today, you're going to see what it is to see God. Would it not be the coolest thing in the world for us to have the opportunity to see God show off like that? Would it not be the most awesome thing in the world for us to have the chance to see God be God today? I believe it can happen. If we quit saying if, start saying when. I'm going to ask our music team to come, and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Stand with me, please, if you would. Father, we're so grateful this morning for every expression of your love. and God, we're thankful for the promises that uh, you revealed in your text today, but so many other places in Scripture we could have looked at to see you offer the same kind of promise and the same kind of, of uh, assurance that we saw here today. But God, with that on, for our part, comes a responsibility for us to understand that you have things for us to do when we find ourselves in between spots. And God, some of those things may be different than we've ever imagined doing them before, and that's exactly what you want, and that's okay. You're not going to lead us someplace that's not going to be good for us. You're not going to call us to do things, though they might be uncomfortable, that are going to be bad for us or dangerous for us or anything like that. God, that's just not who you are. But I truly believe, Lord, that most importantly, 
we're going to see the fulfillment of your promise, then we're going to have to expect that. We're going to have to live in an attitude of expectancy. So, Father, that's our prayer during this time in the life of your church. God, help us to be a people that don't settle for if. Help us to be a people that long to see you be you today. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.